I'm Danielle. And I'm Christy. And you are listening to Snacks with Stein. Let's do it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Snacks with Stein. It feels like it's been a really long time. We've missed everyone. We're sorry that it's taken us so long to get our act together, but we hope you enjoyed your Halloween season and our Halloween special, which is The Witches. Hopefully you checked it out. If not, it's still there to check out. You could make it a Christmas event if you want, whatever, whatever you want to do. But anyhow, this is episode 44, and I have for you how I got my shrunken head. But before I talk about that weirdness, let's talk about Christy and her weirdness on her trip to Las Vegas. <laughs> I did. I did. I went, to, I went to Las Vegas, much to the scandalization of my mother-in-law, who does not listen to this show, so it's fine. We can talk about it. Okay. But yeah, so my friend... Uh, Angela got married in Las Vegas and I saw that as an opportunity to take my best friend from college and do like a girl's trip because she and I have not been on a trip together since college which was I'm not going to say how many years ago yesterday it was, uh, it was yesterday and uh, but it felt like many years um, <laughs> so and we were very excited to take the trip I have not been to Las Vegas as an adult. I went once when I was like 16 or 17 and my sister got married in California and we stopped in Las Vegas for a night driving out there. Whole new experience for the both of us. Right. But we had a blast. Like we had a great time. You know, we we had a mild drunk going for most of the trip. (laughs) We got there in like the morning because we didn't want to waste a whole day. Yeah. And we had this amazing, like, two-hour brunch. Incredible food. I think I had eggs benedict with, like, salmon and mimosas. And then they brought us a side of the thickest cut bacon I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> We're like, well, you know, what do we want to do? So we kind of, we stayed at the Paris. So okay. we could kind of go either way. So the Paris mm-hmm. on the Strip is, like, kind of right in the middle. Um, so I wanted to walk around and see, I had been doing lots of, uh, research on slot machines via YouTube and I was pretty sure I had it figured out. Um, so I was excited to like go play a slot machine and I heard the ones at the Cosmo were good. So we walked over to the Cosmo and the they don't, right. Yeah, yeah. The Cosmopolitan and no one warns you about, we call them the feather birds. Like, I knew that there were street performers that would get a little aggressive with you mm-hmm. about, like, trying to get tips and, like, trying to... But, like, what they don't tell you is that about every 40 paces, there is a pair of, like, 20-something girls in, like, pasties and G-strings with, like, big feathers. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm here for it. Go, You know, she works hard for the money. Go do it. The problem <laughs> is, is, like, they, like, heckle you really? when you walk by. Usually, people know the deal. Like, if you want to get pictures with them, you tip them and whatever, right. right? But they are like, you know, 10 feet away from you, and they'll be like, hey, pictures. You guys want to get some pictures? Let's get pictures. Oh my God, let's get a photo. You guys look beautiful. Let's come get a photo. Oh my God, the pictures. Oh my God. And 
It started to sound like bird calls. <laughs> so we started calling them the feather birds. Whenever we saw one, we would go, ah, ah. <laughs> and that would be the cue to not make eye contact <laughs> because the feather birds were coming and we just wanted to walk. Like they were the most aggressive. I'll have to tell my mom that because she's going in a couple weeks for her birthday and I don't remember those people. Like, I remember random people on the street, like, you know, people, but that does not sound like anything I remember. And so I'll have to tell her to look out for them. <laughs> they are literally every 40 paces. Wow. And, like, I get it. Like, there's different, like, street performers. Like, you also have those, and like, you know, shirtless cowboys trying to get you know, hugs from you. Okay, well, I'll talk about that here in just a second because that's a good choice for her. You know, there's there's shirtless cowboys. Yeah, okay, yeah, whatever. No, I don't <laughs> want to hug. Please don't touch me. Um, I, it's gross. Well, you have to understand, my best friend has always been skinny and pretty and she could mm -hmm. possibly be a vampire. And I kind of forgot what it was like to walk around with her, but she draws a lot of attention that you may not want. Um, and that I'm certainly not used to. It's like, sir, are you lost? Like, please, please continue walking. We're all just walking <laughs> in one direction. There was a lady dressed up like a, oh, the most beautiful black woman you've ever seen. She was dressed up like a dominatrix. Oh, wow. And she had like a whip. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She had a whip. And like, we walked by her and she's like, is everyone behaving? And Diana turned and looked her in the face and went, no. <laughs> and she spanked her. She oh. she stopped her and spanked her with her whip. Oh my god! Hilarious. I was I don't times. remember that many people being out and about on the streets. Like I really don't. Oh, they're everywhere, everywhere. So that was fun. Anytime we walked anywhere, we'd get harassed. So we walked over to the Cosmo. Cosmopolitan was fantastic. We are staying there next time that we go because we went to multiple casinos. We went to Caesars, we went to Venetian, we went all over. On those other, those other hotels, like, you know, you sit down to gamble and you expect to be brought a drink. They yeah. want you to drink, the drinks are free. Right. They want you to gamble more, that's how it works. Yeah. Um, but at all the other casinos we went to, they had maybe one or two girls like covering like a huge floor. Oh. Let me tell you something, at the Cosmopolitan, Every time I turned around, there was a 20-something beautiful girl with big boobs in my face asking me if I wanted another Corona. And the answer is always yes. Always yes. I mean, you wouldn't even finish your drink and some girl would be up wow. there ready to go. I've only heard good the things. Cosmo's word. That hotel is really nice. I have a friend that used to travel for work stuff and her two like conference events were there and she loved it. And my mom's always wanted to stay there. So for her birthday, that's what they're doing so okay good. and she needs to do the the wicked spoon brunch the wicked the wicked spoon is inside the cosmopolitan i'm just writing and they have a brunch that. buffet and diana and i did the brunch buffet okay and one thing you have to know about diana is that she's skinny but she has a hollow leg for beer and a hollow leg for food like she can eat endlessly Wow. And especially if snow crab legs are involved, they have snow crab on the buffet. Okay. Oh, wow. Fancy. It is a huge buffet. It's the, you need a the nicest one I've ever seen. We didn't. Okay. And it you can add like, you can pay, I think it's like an extra $22 on top of what the buffet costs. Mm -hmm. And it's bottomless mimosa and champagne. Okay. 
which is totally worth it. The guy just left the bottle at the table. I love it. <laughs> I'll tell him. It was awesome. <laughs> so we had an amazing time, and Angela got married. She looked beautiful. Yay. I did not expect to cry, but I did because she looked beautiful. Did you post any pictures of the wedding? I don't remember seeing any wedding photos. I saw a lot of you doing stuff. But... I may not have. Yeah, uh, I will try to post a few pictures because I. Well, because they got such good pictures that I may right. not have felt it was necessary. Yeah. Because um, they had this little, they went to this little wedding chapel where it was kind of like all pre-set up. Um, mm-hmm. It was great. It was in and out. And um, and then the, the she went to Carson Kitchen. We had the whole top level of the restaurant. We just mm-hmm. had a huge meal for like four hours. It was the best wedding I've ever been to. Um, and it's right near Fremont Street, which is old Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. If your mom wants to go, she needs to be aware. It's a little bit wild, but it's a lot of fun. On oh, on Fremont? Yeah. It's, I don't know. They're going to go there. Like I mean, she's, the, she's been there before, but yeah. It's probably gotten worse. It's it's like your wild cousin who's fun to go out with, but you might go to jail kind of scenario. That's Fremont Street. Mm-hmm. Like, there's people ziplining above you. Like, right, I've seen that. All the casinos have, like, dancing girls in them. There were really good live bands when we were there because oh, it was right. right near Halloween. So they oh, were right. amazing. Beetlejuice was on the bass. He was rocking <laughs> it out. That's cool. So we had a good time. If you wanted a 10-minute <laughs> diatribe about my vacation, I'm going to have to put a timestamp in the so description. Sorry. We haven't, she hasn't left her house in a long time, so this is a big deal. No, not really. Not really. It was, it was like good fun the whole time. Like it didn't yeah. stop. It was amazing. It's funny because you were in Vegas. My friend is in Vegas currently, and my mom is going to Vegas. So it's this weird, like everybody went to Vegas in the last like short span of time. It's weird. Yup. <laughs> it's a good time. I think my friend is on Fremont Street currently, or was going there tonight. <laughs> It was awesome. I'm glad that we went because it's that's old Las Vegas. Yeah, so like that's when old you see 12. like the yeah the Golden Nugget and mm-hmm. all like that's all on Fremont Street and oh. they have a little liquor store there. Like we went in and got like a two dollar Stella, like a tall right. boy Stella, and we're just because it's like it's like New Orleans. They they don't right. have you can um, drink. right. Mm-hmm. You can drink and walk down the street. Yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. you could like go in somewhere and get a drink and then walk down the street and drink it. It's weird. Yeah, weird feeling. It's weird vibes when it's like that. I think I always I, I only ever think of Fremont Street in National Lampoon's Vegas vacation when they lose all their money and that's where they go and like try to get they go money. to Fremont Street and they go I'm pretty sure they film it there and they go to this like horrendous buffet because again they have no money and it's like the food is like different colors but cousin Eddie it's like is like blue all, and yellow yeah, Eddie's like all about it like don't be skimpy and he's just like piling it up so that's all I ever think of when I think of Fremont Street Fremont Street yeah it was good <laughs> hopefully you didn't at least I didn't have that experience like we ended up there because we were broke <laughs> No, we didn't. We were, I was there with about 15 other people all dressed for a wedding, all Mm -hmm. all mildly drunk. Um, And, you know, it's real close to Halloween. Everybody's walking around in costume and there's all these like live bands and people Mm -hmm. are ziplining overhead. It was wild. It was a good time. I'm a little too old to have that good of a time, I think. But it was fun jelly i i haven't gone anywhere fun in a while disney was a couple months ago but 
we went to my cousin's – all I've done lately is my cousin's wedding. That's it. <laughs> so another wedding. Did she get married in Vegas? So, no. So like, everybody needs to get out. married in Vegas from now on. <laughs> they got married out in the – like towards San Diego. <laughs> oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Temecula, which is like in the middle of nothing out, <laughs> out there. Temecula. That mm-hmm. sounds like something out of Mad Max. <laughs> It probably could have been when, like, it wasn't populated with people and stuff. It's just, like, desert-ish. They have golf courses. And so if you're have, if you familiar with Southern California, it's that stretch. Like, you hit the freeway, and then you get on the road to Pasadena, and then you pass Pasadena, and then you're hitting, like, Chico, Rivers, not Chico, Chino, Riverside, Pomona, then you hit Temecula, and then you keep going, and it's 60 miles more to San Diego. So it's that stretch of, like, little weird cities, and I call it – it's cities and strip malls because it's like I live here, and then there's a giant strip mall where I get all my shopping done, and then I go back to my track home, and then we go there. <laughs> you know, that's really it. And then and if that's I that's where it is. Yeah, and then if I want to do anything else, I have to get on the freeway and go find somewhere else to go because all we have here is the Target, the Costco, the Starbucks, <laughs> you know. So. Oh, man. And all Imagine the being a teenager. Now everyone has turned off the show because it's boring. So <laughs> we're back. Put a timestamp in. <laughs> so I know – that you just came back from Vegas, and I know you're you can't have snow crab legs back home. But what snacks are you having today for this evening? I actually ate dinner not too long ago, so I just really have like a couple of um, just like like crackers and cheese and some of my pickled green beans that yeah. I'm just gonna. Mm-hmm. I should have curated something cool, but I didn't. <laughs> Pretend. <laughs> and the Weight Watchers app is down right now, so I take that as a sign from God that the points don't Ever count currently. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hang on. <laughs> Natalie, what? I'm sorry. What's eight times eight and what's eight times nine? Sorry, nine, eight times eight and what's nine times nine? Do you, are you sitting next to a pile of multiplication flashcards? Bye. Bye. <laughs> Shut that down. She was like silent. I was like, oh, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. She's really I trying have. to get her homework done on her own. Oh. <laughs> I hate math too. It's okay. So tonight we have how I got my shrunken head. This is a weird one. I don't remember I don't remember this it. at all. I don't remember reading it. I may have. Is it I new? Don't, I don't remember. It was it was published in 96, so it's definitely in that time period where I could have. But yeah. I don't know. I didn't really know what book to pick because when I when we were deciding what to do, I was still in my I'm really sad that official spooky season was over, but we have to press yeah. on. Forge on into the night of sadness. But I saw this shrunken head and I was like, that's kind of fun. So I figured, why not? And I affectionately called this book Booger Green because it really is like a booger green. And the shrunken head is very boogery green <laughs> too. Yes. 
And on the cover, the shrunken head is sitting on a very messy set of drawers. So I immediately assumed that the main character was going to be a boy, but I could also be sexist and wrong because girls can be very messy too and also play baseball. And there's a catcher's mitt on the dresser as well. But so we'll find out. Oh, I was a super messy kid. <laughs> I am. A, I have super the messy, messy chair as an adult. My my enemy is the chair because I just don't want to hang it up, so it goes on the chair. Or if it's like pants, I'm gonna wear again, it goes on the chair. Or if like it's something I got in the mail, I don't know where to put it, like a clothing item or whatever, it goes on the chair. And then and then the chair haunts me at night, and I'm like, oh my god, there's a person in the chair. No, it's just my junk. So mm-hmm. my nightmares are my own fault, really, about the chair. <laughs> your sleep paralysis demon is of your own making. Oh, we need a shrink to call in the show. There's got to be some kind of a meaning behind that. If any of our listeners are licensed in um, psychology, please feel free to call in and let us know what's wrong with us. I'm pretty sure we have to have a setup for that. Drunken head. The tagline for this one is heads up. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> said it was published in 1996. And it cost four ninety nine. And I'm, I apologize in advance if there's anything offensive in this book because we're talking about shrunken heads and like. And I know Trader Sam at Disneyland got canceled. So canceled. We are not attempting to be culturally insensitive. No, not yes. at all. All right. So it is winter break, which we are fast approaching. So it's kind of you know kind of fitting. It's winter nice. break. And Mark and his friends, Eric and Joel, who are all 12, are hanging out in his basement and they are playing his favorite computer game, Jungle King. What the point of Jungle King is, is you basically have to swing around from vine to vine like Tarzan and you grab shrunken heads that are hidden around in the jungle. And Mark is absolutely obsessed with this game and obsessed with jungles for some reason. That's just his vibe. He loves them. He's loved them since he was a kid. He made his poor sister Jessica play jungle with him and like make her be a monkey when they were babies. (laughs) This is how much he loves jungles. And Jessica is eight years old. She hangs around them because she's annoying, but they don't let her play any games. And they point out that she has very beautiful red hair. I'm not sure why, but for some reason they're like, her red hair is glistening in the window. So she has beautiful red hair for some reason. (laughs) They don't just play because all she ever wants to do is jump into the quicksand pit, which therefore kills you because she likes the sound that the quicksand makes. So she ruins their game (laughs) and they don't let her play anymore. And so she's just grumpy and sitting in the window. So Joel and Eric, his friends, were over this game. They decided, you know, we want to leave, we want to go home, or we want to play something else. Let's play, like, this March Madness basketball game or mutant football. But Mark is like, no, I got to finish this game. I really want to win. And he's obsessed. And he's not sharing his game, which is mean. And all of a sudden, he decides to let out his battle cry that he penned himself. And I'm going to butcher it, but I think it is Holly-ah, which all I could think of is Kali-ma from Indiana Jones. So I'm so he 
he may have gotten some information, some some inspiration there. <laughs> yeah. So this is Kali Ah, and he made it up, and it's his jungle cry, and just popped into his head one day, and now he just yells it when he plays this game. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah. temple of doom that was right. a great movie i have to look i was up way that. too young <clears throat> abc movie night version of temple of doom mm. which i don't know how they got away with that there's a lot of like ritual like stuff happening I guess they just like you know swim. hearts I ripped know. out i don't know i don't know okay. monkey brains and stuff i don't know <laughs> yeah it wouldn't fly today i don't think no, I think that's one of those ones that is not wooden fly. It's very, it's culturally insensitive now. A little bit. A little, a little racist. Bit. That's okay. It's, but sadly, it's my favorite Indiana Jones movie, which everyone gives me I, I do for. like that one. Everyone I like the number, shit. the dance number in the beginning. Yes, yeah. Everyone gives me shit as my favorite. And everyone's like, no, you have to like number one or number three. And I'm like, no, I'm going to like number two because it's cheese ball and weird. And I love it. And I'm totally the girlfriend because she hates everything, complains the whole time. And I'm like, that would be me. 100%. You don't understand. I relate to her and her annoying. I love Temple of Doom. Yeah, yeah I think I it is my favorite it. as well. It has the, It's so great. I'm like, whatever, people. Like your purest first one and your purest third Give me the middle. Fine. So it, Temple of the Doom came out in 1984, and this book was written in 1996. So it's very possible that Kali Ah was inspired <laughs> by Kali Ma, because that's all right, I can Kali Ah! <laughs> Mark is playing his game. And Eric and Joel are still, like, trying to get him to play another game. And they even suggest a stupid game called Battle Solitaire, where the cards fight each other. So they're really trying. They're like, come on, play anything. So then all of a sudden, (laughs) (laughs) so they're like, we're going to go home. This is stupid. And then Jessica is still sitting in her window being a grump. And he and Mark is over a quicksand pit. So he's really trying to concentrate. And he's like, shut up, shut up. Like, I want to keep going. I got to win. And then all of a sudden, like, something bumps his shoulder. And it was Jessica because he saw her red hair out of the corner of his eye. And she bumped him again and was laughing. And then he died and fell into the quicksand pit. So needless to say, he was not very happy with Jessica. And yeah, this was, is the 90s. There's no respawn. You start nope, over. You're dead. <laughs> so, of course, like you just said, Joel Mark's like I throw it over again how you're such a brat and then Eric and Joel are like F this we're going home and then he's like come on just stay and then they're even like let's go outside let's do something because I I don't know if they established yet where they live I don't remember but it's unseasonably warm for being winter break so they're like let's go outside and play and he's like no I don't want to I want to play the game very much like kids of today they're leaving but in Mark staying in the jungle because he, that's his favorite place to be. And Jessica offers to play with him, but he's like, nope, you're just going to make me lose. And then all of a sudden they hear the doorbell ring. And he asks if their mom is home because he doesn't want to go run upstairs and get it. But then Jessica's like, I'm pretty sure she's in the backyard. So they go down upstairs to get the door. And he opens the door and he's staring at the grossest thing he ever saw in his life. It was a head. It was a human head. 
that was wrinkled and leathery and about the size of a tennis ball. The lips were pulled back in a sneer and the neck was stitched closed with heavy black string and the eyes, which were solid black, were staring at him. It was the shrunken head, a real one. Mark was in shock. He was amazed to find at the front door and he didn't even notice the woman who was holding it. She was very tall, probably his mom's age or a little older. She had short black hair with gray in it and wore a long raincoat, even though it was a warm, sunny day. She was smiling at him, but he couldn't see her eyes because they were hidden behind black sunglasses. She was holding the head by its hair and her other hand held a suitcase. She asked if he was Mark and she had a voice that sounded like someone in a TV commercial. He's like, yeah, I guess, I think so. And he just keeps staring at the head because he never, never thought they could be so ugly in the photos that he'd seen. And she's like, I'm sorry I startled you with this. I was eager to give it to you and took it out of my bag. And then she says, your aunt, Benna, sent it for you and it's a present. And so she held it out further to him again, but he didn't take it because he had spent all day collecting shrunken heads, but he wasn't quite keen on touching a real one. Then is Also, this is a stranger. Right. Stranger danger. Stranger danger. <laughs> so she held out the head and then he hears his mom's voice behind him. Who's here? And then she's like, oh, hi. And then the woman at the door is said, oh, did, did Benna tell you I was coming? I'm Carolyn. I work with her on the island. And Mark's mom is like, oh, my gosh, her letter must have gotten lost. Just come in and come in. So they push Mark out of the way and Carolyn comes in the house. And Mark is like, look what she brought, and points at the shrunken head, who is still dangling from the hair in Carolyn's hand. And mom is like, just that's gross. I don't want it. It's not real, is it? And then Carolyn was pretty in insulted, and it's like, of course it's real. Her, your aunt would never send a fake of anything. So they're in the living room. She puts down her suitcase, and Mark decides he's finally ready to reach for the shrunken head. So he goes to grab it, but before he could, Good old Jessica swoops in and grabs it out of Carolyn's hands. She runs away, laughing and holding the head in her hands. But then she stops all of a sudden and her smile goes away. And she yells out, it bit me. Now, if you're a person came to your door with a shrunken head for your child. <laughs> An extremely dramatic person because yes. let's let's do devil's advocate for a second like <laughs> let's say this lady is who she says she is right okay mm -hmm. fine we'll play okay lady you work with my weird aunt that we've okay my but um and let's say island. that this aunt procured a real shrunken head meaning <laughs> that that is a real head of a person and then let's go so far as to say that then she wanted you to give that to a child that is related to that person. Okay, fine. Wouldn't you have it in a box? Yeah. Like you're coming to the door holding it by its hair like, ooh, and then you walk in the house and you're still holding it and we're like flashing it around. Like, ooh, look what it like. I just instantly, I just instantly thought of that right before Christmas. And when the little boy gets the head and that's how he holds yeah. it. And the mom's like, what did Santa bring you, honey? And he's like, look, <laughs> that's all I could think of. <laughs> Wouldn't like, there's no reveal if you just like no. have it out when you have the, like, 
You open the door and there's a head. And I'd be like, goodbye, closing the door. See, you went to Nightmare Before Christmas. I went to Harry Potter. Yes, that's another good one. That's another good, that's another good example. So Jessica exclaims that she has been bit by the shrunken head. So their mom gasps. And then, of course, Jessica starts to laugh because it was another one of her stupid jokes. She's good. There's <laughs> a lot of good jokes. Good job, Jessica. He's like, give it back. And he's angry. And they're running around the living room. And she starts, she starts to pull away. But he finally grabs it and she tried to get, get away from him. But he holds on to it for dear life, like a football. And then he notices it that she scratched it. And she was like, no, I didn't. But he holds up close to his face and sees that there's a long white line on the right earlobe where she scratched it. So Jessica is now getting chastised by their mom. Like she even says, shape up. We have a guest. Very serious. He's dead. I don't think he cares. (laughs) They're probably referring to Carolyn, but her Caroline. I think it's Carolyn. Well, if she wanted to take better care of it, she should have had it in a box. Put it in a box, right? Jessica crossed her arms and was pouting now because their mom's like, you know, get your shit together, child. So their mom asks Carolyn, how's her sister, Benna, doing? She says that Benna's doing fine, working really hard, really pretty much too hard, and she disappears into the jungle for days. Carolyn sighed and started to unbutton her raincoat. Benna's work is her life. She spends every minute exploring the jungles of Valadora. She really wanted to come visit, but she couldn't leave the island, so she sent Carolyn instead. So the pleasantries continue. It's nice to meet you. Sorry we didn't know you were coming, but you're more than welcome because any friend of my sister is a friend of ours. So she was wearing khaki pants and a short-sleeved khaki shirt, like straight out of the jungle, like explorer, explorer chic. So they go off. Well, we don't need to ask for ID now. No, we're all good. <laughs> they I go off. She's the wearing khaki to have some coffee, but she asks um, Mark first if he liked his present, and he says that it's beautiful. <laughs> it's now beautiful. First, it was ugly. Now it's beautiful. So before going to bed that night, he decides to put the head on his dresser, and he brushed its thick black hair straight back. And noticed that the forehead was dark green and wrinkled like a prune. She, Carolyn had told him earlier that the head was over 100 years old. He couldn't believe that it had once belonged to a real person. Disgusting. They started to wonder, how'd he lose his head? And who decided to shrink it? And who kept it after it was shrunk? He wanted to ask Aunt Benna everything, because she would explain it all to him. Carolyn was sleeping in the guest room down the hall, and they had sat in the living room talking all night about Aunt Bennett. She described the work she was doing on the island and the amazing things she was finding on Belladora. So their aunt is a pretty famous scientist. She's been on Belladora for nearly 10 years. She studies the animals in the jungle and the plant life. Carolyn was telling some really cool stories, and it was like their Jungle King computer game from earlier had come to life. Jessica kept wanting to play with the stupid drunken head, but Mark wouldn't let her. She had already put a scratch on it and kept telling her, it's not a toy, it's a human head. And this is my favorite part of the book because Jessica says, I'll trade you two of my koosh balls for it. And if you are a child, you remember the wonderful things known as koosh balls. 
So oh, I loved, I had so many of those stupid things. I saved a few. And the best ones I had were little mini ones on the end of bookmarks. And I would make such noise flipping <laughs> the stupid couch back and forth as I was reading. So that triggered a memory for me and it made me laugh. So koosh balls were the jam. Makes me think of the Rosie O'Donnell show. Oh, right. Wouldn't she fling them out? Like, yeah. yeah. At the beginning of every show, she would come out and then she would, yeah, she would launch a whole bunch of those into the audience. So, of course, Mark is like, you're insane. Why would I trade this for koosh balls? And he's like, I'm worried about you, sis. Like, your brain is bad. So at 10 o'clock, it was time to go to bed. The drunken head goes back on his dresser and he gets into bed, but he notices that the dark eyes kind of staring at him as he climbs into bed. And he can see the head really clearly because it was in where the moonlight was coming in from his room and it was kind of ominous. And he kept thinking it had a horrible sneer on its face. And he was like, why is it locked in such a bad expression? But he answered his own question because you wouldn't be happy either if someone shrunk your head or a you were dead so he fell asleep How staring at sleep the- in the room with that i know like i'm not scared of those things but i'm like i just wouldn't want it staring at me like i would just put it somewhere else. i don't know if the- i wouldn't want to like it's a it's a body part <laughs> right like i am not someone who's like afraid of haunted artifacts mm-hmm. dolls don't creep me out I could give a fuck about the Dybbuk box. I don't care. (laughs) But I would have some hesitancy about an actual human part of someone that was at some time animated. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's proven like energy doesn't dissipate, right? Right. It only transfers. That's a real good way to be haunted. Yeah. I don't know. I couldn't sleep. Yeah, I would have a hard time, too. I, w- I wouldn't love it. <laughs> I would probably put it in my closet or something. I wouldn't want it looking at me. No, okay, sure. maybe. But, like, yeah. definitely not sitting out watching no. you as you fall no. asleep. Because the no. second you open your eyes, that thing's going to be gone. Right there, yeah. And then it's under the bed. Yeah, we know <laughs> what happens. Right. We've seen this movie. So yeah. he fell asleep staring at the ugly little thing. And he slept heavily without any dreams. He doesn't know how long he slept. Wow. But sometime in the middle of the night, he was awakened by a whisper. Mm, it was his name going, Mark, Mark, Mark. And it grew louder and louder. He sat straight up and his eyes shot open. It was Jessica standing by the bed. <laughs> he was whispering his name and tugging at his pajamas. What is your problem? She had a bad dream and fell out of bed. She needs a drink of water. And he's like, go downstairs. You're not a baby. Go by yourself. But she was scared and wanted him to come with her. So he gets out of bed and goes downstairs with her. And they both stare at the shrunken head on their way out of the room on the dresser. And she says, I'm pretty sure that's what gave me bad dreams. And he's like, don't blame it. Just you have bad dreams every night, remember? It's because you have a sick mind. (laughs) And then she reaches a finger out and pokes the shrunken head on one of its cheeks and says, it feels like cold leather and not like skin. And Mark just figures it probably gets hard or something when you shrink it. 
And Jessica's asked the million dollar question, why did their aunt send you a shrunken head and not send her one? She has her priorities figured out. She's like, where's my present? And Mark's like, I don't know. Jessica brings up an excellent point. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows you can't give a present to just one kid. Right. How like even people, even people without kids know that. Never. Yeah. You all, you know, you always bring a gift for everyone. It's the same with dogs. Like you can't give a gift to one dog and not oh, another. Oh yeah. Everybody needs. Yes. Everybody gets one. And so Mark just figures it's because Aunt Benna doesn't remember her. And the last time she visited, Jessica was literally a baby and he was only four. And she was kind of upset at that and said, she remembers me, but Jessica just loves to argue. Then he finally gets her a glass of water. She gulps it down and she asks once again, you're going to share with me, right? And he's like, no way. How do you even share one head? So they go back upstairs. He took pictures to her room, tucks her in, goes back to his room, goes back into bed, pulls the covers up, shuts his eyes, but notices that there's a yellow light across the room wasn't there before first he thought someone turned on the hallway but he squinted and it wasn't a light the shrunken head was glowing as if bright flames were surrounding it a shimmering yellow and in the glow he saw the dark eyes were gleaming and sparkling and the thin dry lips that were in a scowl began to twitch and turned into a horrifying smile he screams, and it's glowing brightly, surrounded by more yellow light, and the head was now really just grinning at him. He thrashed the covers, tried to get out of bed, but just ended up falling on the ground because his legs were tangled in the sheets. He cried out again. He could barely get to his feet. He was shaking so hard. He was gazing at the head, and he saw it float over the dresser into the air and toward him like a comet. He covered his face to shield himself, but he glanced again and the, the head was back on the dresser top, still glowing. First he thought he imagined it floating, but he didn't freaking care. He ran out of the bedroom, screaming down the hallway, the head, the head, it's glowing. Trying to wake up everybody, Jessica jumped out of her bedroom and is like, what's going on? He didn't stop to answer. He kept running down the hall to his mom and dad's room, just screaming, the head, the head. He had no idea what he was doing at this point. The door was closed, but he shoved it open and his poor mother is startled out of her mind and is like, what the hell is happening? He runs up to her screaming about the head glowing again and she tries to embrace him and like look you had a bad dream it's okay you're all right but he's like nope nope it is really it is really glowing we gotta go you have to come and see it so he pulls her out into the hallway and at this point i don't know how it took her this long but carolyn finally opens her door and is out in the hall now like what's happening and he's like, and his mom's like, Mark says the shrunken head's glowing, but he had a bad dream. He's like, I did not. You will come and see it right now. So he keeps pulling her down the hall. But he noticed that Carolyn went from having a sleepy expression on her face to a very intense expression on her face. Her eyes were wide awake and she was staring at him really hard and intensely like she was studying him. They go into the room, up to the dresser. And the head is gone. 
You were right. Mm-hmm. It went under the <laughs> Call that shit. I sure did. Call. You know, of all the Goosebumps books that you have covered, <laughs> this is the first one where I've actually genuinely been like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't like this. <laughs> this is not good. <laughs> not good. Then he notices Jessica has a very sly grin on her face. And he <laughs> has both hands her back. And he's like, what are you hiding? And her mouth gets wider and she's like, nothing. And he, she's like, he's like, let me see your hands. She's like, no. But then she bursts out laughing and brings the head out from behind her back. <laughs> Jessica has a very mature sense of humor. She needs to be a comedy writer. I really love she's, Jessica. She's gold. <laughs> He screams at her and snatches it away. It's not a toy. Keep your hands off it. She's like, well, it wasn't glowing and it wasn't smiling because you made it all up. And he's like, of course I did not. And he examined it and it was all back to normal. It was back in a toothless snarl. The skin was green. It wasn't glowing. And of course his mom is like, dude, you had a bad dream. Put the head down. We're all going to sleep. She turns off, he turns off the light, but notices that Carolyn is still standing in the hall and still staring at him really intensely. She asks him, did you really see it glow? And he's like, yeah, I did. And she just nods, thinking about something, says goodnight, and goes back in her room. The next morning, Mom and Carolyn had a huge surprise for Mark. Oh, another one. Another Yay. <laughs> Carolyn's the best. <laughs> Carolyn's just here fucking it all up. <laughs> Did you ever have that, like, that jungle, like, fantasy thing where you're like, it might be cute to go out into the jungle and be, like, discover stuff and... Probably for, like, ten minutes. Like, ooh, and then you're like, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, so... <laughs> I just remember watching Romancing the Stone with my sisters and like being like, I could go out to the jungle and find romance and birds. Yeah, I think. And then I was too scared of everything. I was going to say, and then you realize how big the insects are there and that you can't keep them out of anything. Like you could zip yourself up in a bag and they might chew through it. Yeah. I am literally, yeah, I am literally, I'm blanking on her name, of course, but in Temple of Doom, the girlfriend, I am literally her. Yes. Whatever her name is. Is it Andy? It's a boy's name. It's a girl. But yeah, it's, I am her because she complains. She hates it. She wants to go home. Like that's me. I hate the outdoors. I can't do it. Like I appreciate, I appreciate nature. I am glad for God's wonders. I love it. Cool. I'm going to stay inside. Like I just, I'm going to appreciate from a distance. I'm going to let National Geographic do their thing and show me stuff. I'm going to go look at that cool tree, cool tree picture. (laughs) Cause I know all those bugs in that tree. And God knows what else. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I, I would God. love to yes. say, yeah, I want to go on safari. Would I survive Africa? No. no. I'd die the minute I get off a plane. I don't need to vacation to places where I am on the bottom of the food chain. Yeah. I would literally just get off the plane, see a bug, and go home. Like, I, like I'm getting back on the plane. 
forget it. I don't kid myself. <laughs> That's why I like Disney's Animal Kingdom because I can pretend <laughs> to go. Oh yeah, we can be wilderness explorers. Ka right. ka ka. Yes, yes, that's my level of, of wilderness explorer right there. Wrestles on my right. <clears throat> no bugs and paradise balls. I don't know None. if you figured that out. Okay, All right, sorry, I digress. So the big surprise is Aunt Benna wants Mark to come visit her in the jungle. Whoa, I did a lead in and I didn't even mean to. That's great. <laughs> he drops his spoon into his Fruit Loops and his mouth falls to his knees. Excuse me. And they say it again. That's why Carolyn came to take her back, take him back to the jungle with her. He's like, why the fuck didn't you tell me yesterday? But they didn't want to tell him until they worked out all of the details. And Shimon's like, are you excited? You're going to a real actual jungle. And Mark's kind of like, excited isn't the word. I don't really know how to feel. And they laugh. And Jessica's bouncing around the kitchen. I'm going too. But no, Jessica was not going. Oh, what the H. I hope when they worked out all those details, mom asked for some ID. Yeah. It was Mark's turn. And of course, Jessica is like, this isn't fair. I hate this. And Mark says like, yes, it is. Kalia. And he's jumping around and he's running around the kitchen. And of course, poor Jessica is just pouting and is like, this is not fair. I hate you. And again, he tells Jessica, you don't even like the jungle. And she insists that she does. And Carolyn says, next time it'll be your turn. And she's sure that Aunt Benna wants to take them both to the jungle someday. So after breakfast, they start to pack. He's help Mom is helping him pack all of his stuff for the jungle. And Carolyn is like, don't bring any shorts or t-shirts, only long sleeves and pants because of all the weeds and vines and insects. And you have to protect yourself from the sun. Valadora is close to the equator and the sun is very strong and the temperatures are in the 90s all day, a.k.a. Danielle's idea of hell. I was going to say pass. Pass. Do you know how wet, sticky, and gross it is? And of course, because Mark is a class A butthead, he packs the shrunken head in his suitcase. He does not want Jessica to touch it while he's away. The flight was long, so long that they showed three movies in a row. Carolyn was reading the whole time and kind of going through her notebooks and papers, but she took a break during dinner and told Mark a little bit more about the work that his aunt had been doing in the jungle. Carolyn said that Aunt Benna was going into parts of the jungle that no one had ever gone before, and she was turning up all kinds of secrets. They're going to make Aunt Benna really famous when she decides to announce them. She then asked Mark when the last time that he had seen his aunt. And he wasn't really sure. He figures it was a really long time ago. He was probably four or five. He doesn't really remember what she looks like. And she just nods. And she asked kind of weirdly, did she give you any special presents? And he's like, I really don't remember. But I know for sure she didn't bring me anything as cool as the shrunken head that it was super awesome. 
Carolyn didn't crack a smile through this whole conversation. She was focused on her dinner and whatever she was thinking about. She looked like she was thinking hard about something. He fell asleep after dinner and they flew all night and landed in Southeast Asia. They arrived just after dawn. The sky outside was purple and there was a, was a beautiful color he had never seen before. And a big red sun was slowly rising up through the purple clouds. Carolyn tells him they're going to change planes here because a huge jet could never land in Baladora. And they have to take one of those fun tiny planes. Yay. Ew. <laughs> the plane was... Yes. It looked like a toy. <laughs> it had two red propellers and little slender wings. And Mark was looking for rubber bands that made the propellers spin. The pilot's name was Ernesto. He was wearing a red and yellow Hawaiian shirt and khaki shorts. And Mark's like, does this thing even fly? And Ernesto's like, I hope so. Ha ha ha. Like a That's biplane? Like, it's like a, like a biplane. Like it's teeny tiny. Ew. They start the, the smaller the aircraft, the more you feel it. Like you right. could legit die in one of right. those. <laughs> so they start the engine. And the, it sounded like a power mower was starting up. The propellers were twirling. <laughs> and it was so loud that he couldn't hear what Ernesto was shouting to them. And he thinks it was something about putting on seatbelts. A few minutes later, <laughs> they were in the air and they were over the blue-green ocean. And the water was sparkling in the sunlight. The plane was bumping and jerking, and they could feel the wind blowing through the plane, which was making them bounce. After a while, Carolyn pointed out the islands that were down below. They were mostly green with ribbons of yellow sand, and they were all jungle islands. And then Carolyn shouts, that's Valadora up ahead, and points out the window, and another island comes into view. Valadora was larger than the other islands and very jagged. It curved around like a moon. He couldn't believe that Aunt Benna was down there somewhere. And Carolyn finally smiled and said, she's there all right. There were broad-winged white birds and tangled green trees. And he notices a strip of land had been cleared near the south shore of the island. And beyond that were waves smacking against some dark rocks. The plane hit the ground hard as they landed, and his knees bounced up in the air. He bounced, they bounced again on a dirt road, then rolled to a stop. Ernesto cut the engine, opened the door. They carried their suitcases out, and Carolyn only had a small canvas bag, and he had a pretty big suitcase. They set them down on the landing strip and gave a short, and Ernesto said goodbye with a short two-fingered salute. Then he climbed back in the red plane and pulled the door closed, then flew away. No more plane, goodbye plane. <laughs> How are they getting off? Nobody knows. <laughs> okay, we don't think things through. <laughs> we're in a jungle with a complete stranger. Like we And no we're good. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> so it's bright. Um, and Mark's like, where the heck do we go now? And Carolyn points to a, a clearing of tall grass beyond the airstrip. And at the edge of the building, there were a row of low gray buildings, which were their headquarters. They built the airstrip right nearby, but the rest of the island is just jungle. No roads, no houses, wilderness. 
They were walking quickly, taking long strides, and Mark had to kind of jog to keep up with Carolyn. Sweat was dripping down his forehead, and the back of his neck was starting to itch already. Carolyn was in such a hurry, and she finally asked, We're kind of trapped here, right? I mean, how do we get off the island when we're finished? And Carolyn says they have a radio to get Ernesto back. It takes him about an hour to get here from the mainland. That made Mark feel a little better, but he was still sort of like, can't he just stay? It's kind of weird, but okay. He was still struggling to keep up with her, and his suitcase was heavy, and his sweat was dripping everywhere. And they were finally near the headquarters, and he expected his Aunt Benna to come out to greet him, but he didn't see a single sign of anyone. There was a radio antenna off to the side, and all the buildings were square and flat. They looked like upside-down cartons, and square windows had been cut out of the walls. So they go into the building, and he starts to cry. He starts to look around for Aunt Benna, and he's like, Aunt Benna! And he runs a little bit farther inside, Aunt Benna! But no one answers. There was a table with test tubes and other equipment, a bookshelf, and he's still looking around for his aunt. Then he sees her wearing a white lab coat with her, with her back to him, at a sink. She turns around, but no, that was not Aunt Benna. It was a man with white hair in a white lab coat. He had pale blue eyes, and they looked like glass. He smiled, but not at Mark. He was smiling at Carolyn and asked, does he have it? And she says, yes, he does. And he was breathing really hard with short, shallow breaths. He couldn't tell if they were excited or nervous. Then a smile crossed his face, the man's face, and his blue eyes were twinkling. Mark finally interjected himself awkwardly and said, hi, <laughs> I'm here. And it's like, where's my aunt? And before they could answer, a girl appeared from the back room who had straight blonde hair and the same blue eyes as the man. She was dressed in a white t-shirt and tennis shorts and looked about Mark's age. He introduced her as his daughter, Kareen, not Karen. Kareen. <laughs> he, his name was Dr. Richard Hollings. And he says this, he tells Kareen, this is Benna's nephew, Mark. And Kareen makes a snar snarky comment like, I know. And then just says, hey, to Mark. And Mark is still super confused, as are we are. Kareen flips her hair back and asks what grade he's in. And she's like, I'm in sixth grade. And so is Mark. And then he, she says, I'm not in school this term because I'm in this dump and makes a face at her dad. Once again, Mark's like, where is my aunt? I thought she'd be here when I arrived. Dr. Hollings was just kind of like looking at him again with those weird eyes and finally says, Benna isn't here. And Mark's like, excuse me, is she working? <laughs> and he's like, oh, we don't know. <laughs> We don't she did. <laughs> Kareen is just so, playing with her hair. Mark, we ate her. <laughs> we got hungry and now we're going to eat you. <laughs> Kareen was playing with her hair and not saying anything. And Carolyn stepped behind the lab table and said, your aunt Benna is missing. Mark felt like he was falling even though he was standing up. And it's like, she's missing. And Kareen says, she's been missing for a few weeks. And the three of us have been trying to find her. But why didn't you tell my mom? And Dr. Holling says, we didn't want to worry her. If Ben is her sister, 
So Carolyn brought you here because you can help us find her. <laughs> a 12-year-old child is going to help them find. I think we should all feel betrayed. I mean, we put our trust in this woman two days right? ago. You know, had our best interest going to come through. Going on vacation. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, international plane tickets. Come on. <laughs> He's like, what? Me? How can I help? And Dr. Holling steps up to him and locks his eyes on him and says, you can help us. You can help us find your aunt because you have, and I quote, jungle magic. <laughs> what was the other book we read where the person was like, magic? Uh, <laughs> what was that? Uh, that was his catchphrase. He just kept saying it over and over. Magic. Because I, I made it very clear to everyone that jazz hands were to be made every time. And 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 same goes here. When we say jungle magic, we wheel our hands around a little bit. Spirit magic. fingers. Spirit fingers. And like we're all thinking, Mark says, I have what? And he was just staring back at Dr. Hollings like, excuse me, what? Was Jungle Magic a computer game like Jungle King? And why did he think I had it? And again, Mark, Dr. Hollings says, you have Jungle Magic. I'm going to explain. <laughs> and Kareen's like, he's been flying for a hundred freaking hours and he's tired. So like, maybe let's not do this right now. But Carolyn's like, come sit down. Let's take a little break. And she asked if they had any Coke left. And there was a few left in the fridge. And Ernesto was going to bring more on his next flight. So they give one to Mark. And Mark is very excited about this cold drink because he's, like, freaking out. So Corrine asks him if he's ever been to the jungle before. And he's like, nope. But I've seen lots of jungle movies. And Kareen just laughed and is like, dude, it's not like the movies. There aren't herds of gazelles and elephants at a water hole. <laughs> and he's like, well, what animals are here? And she's like, just mosquitoes and some birds. <laughs> and he's like, I don't know how I can help. I have never been here. And Carolyn repeats, you have jungle magic. Your aunt gave it to you the last time she visited you. It's in Benna's notebooks. And Carolyn's like, don't you remember any of this? And he's like, I was four. I don't remember. She didn't give me anything. And they're like, but she did. You have jungle magic. And he's like, how? How do I have it? Please help me understand. And then she says, you have it because you saw the shrunken head glow. And the head only glows for people who have the magic. That was part of Benna's notebooks. So he's like, I have magic powers. But I don't feel strange or anything, and I've never done any magic. And Dr. Hollings tells him the magic is hundreds of years old, and it belongs to the, I'm going to say this wrong, to the Aloyan people who used to live on the island. And they were head shrinkers hundreds <laughs> of years ago. <laughs> Stop. You're a wizard, Harry. <laughs> You're a wizard. I'm a what? <laughs> a wizard. 
<laughs> he didn't even get a birthday cake. I guess not. <laughs> I'm sorry. So the next day, he was exploring the edge of the jungle with Kareen. They uncovered some amazing yellow spiders that were as big as his fist. Cool. And Kareen showed him a plant that can snap its leaves around an insect and keep it trapped for days until the plant has digested it all. Kind of like a Venus flytrap, I guess. All night, his questions didn't go away. He was up all night looking at the small wooden shack where he was sleeping wide awake. And he's trying really hard to remember her and trying to remember this visit when he was four. He has a picture in his mind of a short, dark-haired woman who was kind of chubby like him with a round pink, pink face and intense eyes. And he thinks she talked really fast, had a chirpy voice, and was very enthusiastic. But that's all he could think of. There was nothing else. He decided to take a walk around the headquarters because he couldn't sleep. He thought exploring where the trees grew thick and the jungle started. Again, you're going out at night in the fucking jungle. Like, I don't know what your brain's, what your brain's doing. What is your brain doing? Mm-hmm. It's it like was you've never seen a documentary dark. before. <laughs> it never, he watches jungle movies. You know bad things happen. He well, but they it. don't show, like, the real stuff in jungle like movies. It's all machetes and, like, <laughs> this is cool and... You know, whatever. And then you watch a documentary and they're like, oh, yeah, this giant scorpion is just hanging out in the loo. Oh, there's four more. They just come in there because it's warm. It's fine. It's like, I'm supposed to poop in there? What? (laughs) So he keeps hearing this strange sort of cawing sound in the distance. But he figures it's a bird. And he was wearing a long baggy t-shirt over his boxers and figures... He's not going to get dressed because no one else is awake, and he's going to take a really short walk. He puts on his sandals, steps outside, and then the cawing sound is a little closer. He made his way past the silent shacks to the right and the, where the trees bent and swayed. Then he's like, I need a flashlight. And remembers Carolyn says, never go out at night without a flashlight. And she's like, oh, yeah. So he goes back and decides to go get a flashlight. But before he could turn around, he notices he's not alone. In the darkness was a pair of eyes staring at him. Staring through the purple night and another pair and another and another and another. And he was trapped. There was too many of whatever they were. And he froze. He was trembling and just staring and the eyes started to glow and get brighter and brighter. And he realized that these were not creature eyes. They were not animal eyes. They were human. He was staring at the glowing eyes of a hundred shrunken heads. A pile of them, all heaped together, eyes on top of eyes, heads like tight fists, mouths curled into snarls, are open in horror. Heads on heads on heads. It was so terrifying in the cold, golden glow from their eyes. He uttered a cry and ran. His legs felt rubbery and weak, and his heart was pounding. He ran around the headquarter building, the yellow fading slowly from the distance, and ran as fast as he could to the front door. And he pulled the door open and leaped inside. He waited for the eerie glow to fade, and his heart to stop racing, and after a minute or two, he felt a little calmer. 
confused. Like, why are these heads piled like that? He shook his head, trying to shake away the ugly picture of them. They were all people, he realized. Hundreds of years ago, it was a people pile. So wait, so, time out real quick. Do you remember, like, what? It's been a long time. Like, how? What were shrunken heads exactly? Like, were they? They were people. <laughs> I feel like they weren't faked, but there's some kind no. of scientific thing behind it. I thought they were like smaller people or like, what are they? I don't know the right term, but yeah, they weren't fake. They were something. Yeah. There's some kind yeah. of scientific reason behind it. Mm-hmm. Like it, yeah. but it was uh, something odd. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to look it up now. Okay. So he's in the hall. He's back in the headquarters and he's like, I am not going out again without a flashlight. So he starts looking around. He finds one. Then kind of settles looking around the room again with his flashlight because the lights are all off. And he notices that Aunt Benna's bookshelf with her black notebooks. And he decides he's going to look at them because he's like, maybe I'll find some answers about what this hell this jungle magic is. He rolled down a long section about lizards. Then she described a cave she had found cut into the rocky shore at the other side of the island. The cave had been lived in by the Aloyans 200 years ago. And then he turned more pages, and there was a section marked Summer. And he read the words, his eyes bawled out of his head. He didn't want to believe what he was reading, but the words were there, and they were terrifying. Dr. Hollings and his sister Carolyn will stop at nothing to destroy the jungle and all the creatures who live here. They do not care about who they hurt or who they kill. They only care about getting what they want. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, ba, da, ba, dun. Okay, I have the answer whenever you want it. Okay, go ahead. There's no, there's no skull inside. Okay. So the process of, okay, it's, this might get a little graphic. <laughs> the process of creating a shrunken head begins with removing the skull from the neck an incision is made on the back of the ear and all the skin and flesh is removed from the cranium. They basically then stuff it with like a wooden form and then they boil it so that the skin shrinks around the wooden form. And then it is cooled in sand while they kind of also manipulate it and kind of put like, make it look like it's got human features. And then they rub it down with charcoal ash to preserve it. Oh, so a shrunken head is actually the skin off the head. There's no bone inside. Wow. Ew. You're welcome. Thank you. So Bennett goes on to say that finding the secret of jungle magic in the cave was her most amazing discovery. And the secret was not safe as long as Dr. Hollings and Carolyn were around. They will use the magic to do evil. And so she gave the jungle magic and its secret to her nephew, Mark. He lives 4,000 miles away in the United States. And if the jungle, jungle magic ever falls into Hollings' hands, the jungle will be destroyed. The island of Balador will be destroyed, and so will I. I must keep my nephew 4,000 miles away from here, because he will shrink Mark's head too, to get the magic I have hidden there. Jesus, Mark, you had one job. You had one job. 
He's like, I'm not safe here. I'm in danger and have to get away. Get dressed and get away as fast as I can. Corrine pulled open the door and stepped into the room. She wore an oversized t-shirt down past her knees and her hair was like kind of wild around her face like, like she just woke up. What are you doing in here? She demanded. And he was like, let me go. I'm leaving. And he's like, I have to go. She's like, what the hell is your problem? Why are you acting crazy? And I, he tells her that he saw his aunt's notebook. I read what Aunt Benna found about your father and Carolyn. And she says, oh, and lets out a long sigh. He asked her, where is my aunt? Do you know where she is? And she says, no. And he says, did your father do something terrible to her? Did he hurt her? And she's like, no. How can you ask me that? My dad isn't evil. He and Benna just don't agree on things. He raised the flashlight again to check her expression to see if she might be telling the truth or if she was lying. And she actually had tears running down her cheek. And he thought that maybe she was actually being honest with him. He's like, I'm going to go get dressed. I'm going to find my aunt. And he asks, where should we go? And he's and Kareen says, use the jungle magic. It'll tell you where Bennett is. He's like, I can't. I don't even know what the hell the magic is. And she keeps saying, use the magic. And he keeps saying, I don't know how. They have no idea how they're going jazz to Jazz hands. Yes. Jazz hands. Jazz the hands jazz hands unlocks the jungle magic. <laughs> yeah, that's a little vague. Yeah. The well, like capital T H E the jungle magic. <laughs> he gets to the cabin finally, gets dressed, makes sure to grab the head as they leave, because can't leave it behind. So he was still had a million questions trying to his mind. His throat was dry, it ached, and thought about the cold soda in the lab, but he couldn't risk waking up Korean's dad. He really wanted to turn around, go back, go to bed, and pretend I never pretend he never read his aunt's notebook. But then Corrine and him passed the big pile of drunken heads, and the dark eyes all seemed to stare at him with sad, sad expressions. He didn't want his head to end up on that pile, so he started to jog toward the trees. Corrine hurried up to keep pace and just whispered, Good luck. And he says, Thanks. And he's, what are you going to tell your dad in the morning? And she says, I won't tell him anything. I'll tell him I slept all night and didn't hear a thing. He says, thanks, and turns toward the trees. The path was soft and the sand kind of felt wet through his sneakers. There were vines and big leaves everywhere and tall weeds over the path. After a minute or so, it was too dark to see. And he thought maybe he wandered off the path. He turned on the flashlight and looked at the ground. The light swept all over the tall weeds and the black trunk trees appeared to lean toward him, reaching for him with their limbs. There was no path. Here he was, all alone, in the jungle. His whole body was shaking, and even though it was warm, he couldn't stop shivering. The wind made all the leaves rustle, and the trees were bending and whispering. Mark realized the jungle was alive. Insects were all around, fat leaves scraped and cracked, and he heard the soft sounds of animal footsteps all over the ground. He pressed himself against a low tree, took a deep breath, and held it in. He turned up the flashlight and lowered himself to the sitting position on the ground. Leaning back against the trunk, he gazed up at the moon and took slow, steady breaths. He felt calmer and realized he was really, really tired. It slept over him like a blanket and his eyelids seemed to weigh a hundred pounds. He tried to stay awake, but couldn't fight the drowsiness. With the, with the sound of the insects for a lullaby, he fell asleep against the tree. 
and dreamed about shrunken heads. Dozens of them. The leathery skin, purple and green, the black eyes, and the dark black lips. Gray morning light went through the trees now, and his back ached and his clothes were damp. It took him a few seconds to realize where he was. He, his face itched. He reached up to scratch it and pulled something off. Was it a leaf? No. It was a large red ant, nearly the size of a grasshopper. His back itched and his skin tingled. Something moved up and down his legs. He was now wide awake, itching like crazy. He started to scream. He thrashed his arms in the air and kicked his legs. His body was covered with hundreds of giant red ants, crawling over his arms and his legs and his chest. He started to scream, Kalia, Kalia. And to his surprise, the ants began to drop off. He screamed again. Ants showered to the ground. They leaped out of his hair, onto the ground, off the front of his clothes. They all began to scamper away, climbing over each other, stampeding over and under the tall grass. They were gone, but he was still itched everywhere. They had jumped off when he shouted his special word. Inside his pocket, the shrunken head's eyes were glowing, the bright yellow glow from before. He shouted Kalia again, and the eyes were glowing brighter. Special word. Where did the word come from? He didn't know. He figured he'd made it up as a kid. But suddenly he realized the word was a secret behind the jungle magic. The word and the shrunken head. Somehow, the word brought the jungle magic to life. The glowing little head brought new excitement for Mark now. His heart was pounding in his chest, but he was thinking really hard. He did have the magic. Dr. Hollings and Carolyn were right. He makes his way to a wide, sandy clearing. Then he cries out as his feet slips on the soft sand. He loses his balance. The flashlight and the shrunken head flew out onto the sand. And he starts to sink. Sand rolled up over his ankles, up his legs, up to his knees. But he was sinking and sinking and sinking faster. The more he struggled, the faster he sank. Deeper and deeper down into the pit of sand. He couldn't move his legs. Did you ever see that? Um, that meme about how cartoons misled us to think that quicksand was going to be more of a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In your adult life. <laughs> he tried to shout for help, but he was too panicked to make a sound. And what good is shouting? There's no one around for miles. Kalia, he screamed, but nothing happened. Jungle magic can't save you now. Guess not. It works with the ants. I know. You ever heard of um, a bullet ant? No. So yeah. I, on one of the documentaries I was watching, it's a thing that happens in the jungle. They're huge. They're big black ants. And if they bite you... Mm-hmm. Because of the venom that they have, it is equivalent to like being shot on the pain scale. Yeah. So if you are bit more than a few times by these bullet ants, like you go into shock Ew. and possibly die. Like three of these bullet ants can take you down. That's so gross. Super gross. That's what I thought of. It's like, where's your 
So now, so we've conquered the ants, but not not the quicksand. You need a vine. That's that's what it is. You right? need a vine and a helper. I wonder how quicksand is actually formed in the jungle, because like the only thing close to quicksand I've ever encountered has been on the beach. You know where like they kind of pulls up and will like suck your foot in. I wonder how that works in the jungle. Is it like a sinkhole? I think it's probably more like a sinkhole, like made of mud and stuff, maybe. You know? So this poor guy is still just sinking on into his into this pit. And he's shouting his special word. But then he realizes that it's not working because he didn't have the shrunken head on his body. Because the head had flown off from him when he fell into the pit. But he didn't see where it was. And he finally found it. He tried to stretch out both hands and tried to grab it but it was too far away, just inches out of his reach. The head was not a foot from his fingertips and it seemed a mile away. His hands were making a loud slapping sound as they hit the sand and then the head bounced. He slapped it again and the head bounced closer. Tried it again, another bounce, and now it was only a few inches away. He grabbed onto it, held it tightly and shouted, Kalia, but nothing happened. Then he tried again, Kalia, thinking he would fly up and float magically over the ground. Jungle magic, please work. But he didn't move. He was just thinking deeper. He was looking at the shrunken head and just shouting, help me. Why aren't you helping me? And then he saw the vines. Yellow green vines were creeping over the sand pit, like long snakes, a dozen of them slithering toward him from all directions. He watched the vines slither closer and closer and reached out his free hand and grabbed for one. But the vine swept past his hand and wrapped itself around his chest and began to tighten. What? It was going to strangle him. Then another vine dipped into the sand and curled around his waist. And the vines were tightening around him and they began to pull. Holding the shrunken head in the air, he let the vines tuck him through the sand and they pulled hard and fast. A few seconds later, the vines tugged him onto his knees, onto hard ground, and he let out a happy cry. The vines let go instantly and curled back into the weeds. He laid there trying to catch his breath and pulled himself to his feet. The jungle magic had worked and saved him once again. The wet sand was clung everywhere. He tucked the shrunken head into his shirt pocket and began trying to get the sand off his clothes. The sun had risen high in the sky, and the trees and ferns were all gleaming with gold. The air had grown even hotter, but he still had no idea where to go. He pulled the shrunken head from his pocket and told it to lead the way, but nothing happened. Was he still walking east? But to his surprise, the glowing, the dark eyes in the shrunken head began to glow. What did that mean? Did that mean he was in closure to Aunt Benna? Did it mean he was walking in the right direction? Harder to test it out. He spun around her walking toward, back toward the sand pit, and the eye started to instantly dim back to black. He turned to walk north, and the eyes remained dark. He turned back toward the sun, and the eyes began to glow again. He shouted his special cry, and the he- realized the head was guiding him to his aunt. He held the head in front of him and went to the left. The eyes grew dark, wrong way. He turned to the right, and the eyes began to glow. Aunt Benna was hiding somewhere in these trees. Maybe he was getting close. The trees ended suddenly, and he found himself in a clearing. Felt as if the ground was shaking. But the ground was shaking. He heard a 
deafening sound, like Velcro being torn apart. Only a thousand times louder. The ground was trembling and splitting apart. The earth was opening up. He started to fall into an endless hole into the earth, screaming all the way. He landed hard on his elbows and knees, and pain shot through his whole body. He thinks he really saw stars. Hundreds of them. And then he saw a little yellow and black cat face on top of the pit. He leaned over the pit so far, it almost fell in. The tiger moved quickly and bumped the cub away from the edge. Then she picked the cub from her teeth and carried it away. He didn't move. And they were followed into the jungle by this weird dude with a mullet and like a <laughs> sidearm and it was weird. I would like to see tiger babies. Oh my god, did you see the preview for ti- for the the next season of Tiger King? Yes. <laughs> Crazy. It's gonna be good. I know. Didn't isn't she isn't she like suing to try and stop them from airing it or something? That she is. She yeah. is. So far she has not been successful because yeah. they're only using the images that she's already signed off on. Oh. Um and she's not happy about that. Right. Then why did you do it? Like why did you have them come back and film you if like you were just gonna go, nah like Well, I think she probably in her she seems narcissistic enough to have really believed that they were maybe telling her story, like her legacy and like, you know, all the yeah. questions they asked her about him and that kind of stuff was like all side. Like she maybe didn't understand that this wasn't about her. Yeah, that's true. I just feel like I would, after all of the felicity that happened at the first one, I wouldn't have let them come back. <laughs> You know, but I've been like, no. I don't know that they have any new footage of her. Oh, I think she's like suing over the the footage that they're going to use from the first round. Oh, any footage of her, they may have. Um, I mean, unless they're using stuff from her YouTube channel, mm. and like other appearances, that's public domain. Yeah, right. That's what. I, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. It's going to be good. Yeah. Sorry, we digress. It's about tigers. It was on topic. <laughs> so he's in this pit, waiting for the tiger to return, thinking he's going to come back. But it seemed like hours, we finally decided it wasn't coming back, and her only thought was to protect the cubs and take them away, which she did. So he thought, how the heck do I get out of here? <laughs> Can we climb out? He tried that. Didn't work. He reached for the shrunken head, and he decided to have to use jungle magic. The magic got him down there. He has to use it to get out. But before he could get the word out, darkness fell over the pit. He couldn't think, he didn't think the sun was setting already. It wasn't evening, but someone stood there. The tiger, a human, he called out, who's there? A face leaned over the edge, peering down, with blonde hair and pale blue eyes. It was Kareem. She screamed, what are you doing down there? He's like, what are you doing out here? And she's like, I followed you. I was worried about you. And he's like, 
get me out of here. She's like, I don't know how. He's like, did you bring a ladder with you? She's like, no, obviously not. You're fired, Kareem. Fired. And, he, and then he, she suggests maybe I could drop a rope or something. But rope wasn't too easy to find in the middle of the jungle. How about a vine? See if you can find a long vine. Which made her expression brighten a little. And she disappeared and he waited. He heard the birds again. And he thought, are the birds frightened? If they are, why did the tiger come back? Then finally, Corrine appeared and found a vine. She didn't know if it was long enough. Lower it and we'll give it a try. Have to get out of here. It was hard to pull out of the ground. It looked like a long snake twining down the side of the pit. This is one of those few times that he wished he were tall and thin instead of short and chubby. But he grabbed the vine and wrapped both hands around it then pressed the soles of his sneakers against the dirt wall and started to pull himself up like a mountain climber. The dirt kept crumbling out from under him, and the vine grew more and more slippery. With Kareen cheering him on, he got to the top. He lay in the grass for a moment and felt wonderful to be out of the hole. The air started to grow cooler, and the sun was lowering itself behind the trees, and it was almost night. He had already spent one night in the jungle and didn't want to spend another. Kareen asked if he had a direction he was going, and he told her the trick of the eyes of the shrunken head, and that's how it was lighting his way. So she was pretty shocked that he actually really did have jungle magic, because apparently she didn't believe anything either. <laughs> but yeah, he turned out. his shrunken head into a stud finder, and it's going <laughs> to like send them through the jungle. So they started to go, following the shrunken head, and they were walking side by side. Kareem was pretty much in amazement at the shrunken head, and kept asking questions, like, is it really guiding us this way? Is it really working? Do you really have magic? And he's like, I really don't know, but we're going to find out. They pushed their way through the tumps of, of reeds, and the eyes on the shrunken head went to black. They turn around until the eyes glow again, and move forward, making their own path. They step over vines and tangles of weeds and shrubs. More mosquitoes are attacking them. The insects grow going louder, drowning out the crunch of the sneakers over the vines and on the jungle floor. The darkness deepened and the eyes in the shrunken head appear to glow brighter, like flashlights guiding them through the trees. Kareen said she's getting kind of tired and doesn't know how much longer she can walk. He was thinking about Aunt Benna and her notebooks. He didn't want to make Corrine feel bad, but had to say something. And told her that his aunt didn't really write nice things about their, her dad and Carol in her notebook. And he was kind of surprised. And Corrine was silent for a moment. That's horrible. They worked together for so long, I knew they had an argument. And Corrine said it was about her dad's plans to develop the jungle. He thinks there are valuable minerals here, but that Benna thinks jungle should be preserved. And she's pretty sure as the fight was about, but she wasn't sure. The notebook made it seem like your dad was evil or something, he says. And she's like, no way. He's strong-minded, that's all, but not evil. And I know that my dad still cares about Benna. He still respects her and cares about her and is worried about her. He grabs Karine's arm, interrupting her thought, and points to the trees. There was a clearing up ahead, and they could see the outline of a small shack. And they thought, a little house. Could it be? So they creep closer to it, 
but something scurried over the tops of his sneakers, but he ignored it. His eyes were focused on the tiny shack. As they moved closer, they could see it was built of tree limbs and sticks. He saw a pale light flicker in one of the openings, even though it had no windows. Maybe it was a flashlight or a candle. Someone was definitely in there. Then they heard a cough. Could it be Aunt Fena's cough? There was only one way to find out. The shrunken head glowed brightly and the eerie yellow light splashed over the ground. A lantern appeared in the doorway, then moved up to the woman holding it. She was short, very short, only about a foot taller than Mark and very chubby. Her straight black hair was tied back and in the glow of the lantern, she wore khaki slacks and a khaki safari jacket. Who's there? Aunt Benna, is that you? Mark, I don't believe it, and came running toward them. The light bounced over the grass from the lantern, making shadows dance. She pushed him away from her to study his face. I don't believe even recognize you. I haven't seen you since you were four. And he demanded breathlessly, everyone is so worried. What are you doing out here? Then he realized that she wasn't looking at him. How do you know Kareen? That's Dr. Holling's daughter. She squeezed his shoulders and gasped. Aunt Benna was, in, was panicking now. You told her about the jungle magic? I only came to help, Crane insisted. My father is worried about you. And Aunt Benna screams, your father wants to kill me. That's why I had to run away. That's why I had to leave everything behind and hide in the jungle. Mark keeps trying to assure her that Corrine's okay. She only wants to help, really. And my aunt, his aunt turned back to Mark. Carolyn Hollings brought you here? And he said, yep to find you. Carolyn brought me this and pulled out the shrunken head. They told me I had jungle magic. I didn't know what they meant. I thought they were crazy. Then I went out to look for you and I discovered that I did. And Aunt Benna nodded. Yes, you have it. I gave it to you when you were four. I hypnotized you and I transferred jungle magic from me to you to keep it safe. It's a powerful force that will do your will and carry out your wishes. Her eyes grew sad. We cannot talk about this now. We are in danger, actual, real danger. They heard rustling and cracking sounds in the trees. Were they footsteps? Corrine was running across the grass. She cupped the hands around her mouth. Over here, dad, over here, I found them. Bitch. She, well, she tricked them. We never saw that coming. I know. I mean, a day ago when we put our trust and Kareen, who has a ridiculous pronunciation of her name, oh. where we put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> I just can't believe she would betray us to her father that she's known her whole life. I know. There was no time to run. Dr. Hollings came out from the tall grass with a flashlight in one hand. He thought he might be carrying a gun, but he couldn't see and didn't want to find out. He grabbed his aunt's arm and they tried to run back into the jungle. But Aunt Benna refused to move. She was frozen in surprise or fear. Good work, Corrine. Dr. Hollings patted her on her shoulder. I knew if you helped Mark escape, he would lead us right to his aunt. Dr. Holling got up to them both and demands the secrets of the jungle magic. Tell me how it works, and I will allow you and your nephew to leave the island in one piece. Mark didn't like the sound of that. He slipped the shrunken head into his pocket. He'll use jungle magic and get us out of this jam. But he was stopped when he caught Aunt Benna's glance. She was signaling with her eyes. 
telling Mark not to do it. What's going on? Dr. Hollings demanded. What are you doing? Don't give it away, Mark. Don't let them know the secret word. It's okay, Dad, Corrine said. I know the word. Mark told it to me. I can tell you what it is. Carolyn raised her flashlight. Her silvery eyes narrowed at Aunt Benna, and Carolyn smiled a cold, unpleasant smile. How are you, Benna? We missed you. Enough chit-chat, Dr. Hollings muttered. Aunt Benna was scowling. Carolyn, I thought you were my friend. We're all good friends here, Dr. Hollings said, and good friends like to share. That's why you're going to share the secrets of the jungle magic with us. Never, Aunt Benna declared. Well, never isn't a word for friends, Dr. Hollings scolded. In the morning, we'll go back to the headquarters and you will share everything. You'll share all of your secrets and you will give the jungle magic to Carolyn and me like a good friend. Dr. Hollings shoves Mark and Benna into the shack where they can keep an eye on them. They're prisoners now, but they can't let them have the jungle magic. They scrambled out of the shack, stretching and yawning. Even though the sun was still low over the trees, the air felt hot and wet. Mark's whole body ached from lying on the hard ground, and his shirt was damp and smelled terrible. His stomach growled and discovered he was covered with mosquito bites. Not one of his best mornings, and it wasn't going to get any better. They walked for hours through the jungle. Carolyn and Corrine led the way, Dr. Hollings behind with Aunt Benna and Mark, making sure they didn't try to escape. No one said a thing. They finally made it back to the row of cabins. They were hot, sweaty, starving, and dying of thirst. They shoved Aunt Benna and Mark into an empty cabin and slammed the door and locked them in. Aunt Benna tried to comfort him and said, don't worry, she'll figure something out. We've had one lucky break, Aunt Benna murmured. Hollings didn't take away the shrunken head. It was so dark, I don't think he saw it. We're in terrible danger. You have to use the jungle magic to save us, Mark. He felt a, fil a chill of fear, but he tried to mutter strength and said, no problem. Wait till I give you the signal. When I blink my eyes three times, pull the shrunken head out and shout the word. Just keep watching me and watch the signal. Before he could reply, the door burst open with Dr. Holling and Carolyn bursting in with their faces grim. Dr. Hollings carried a large silvery pistol and ordered them outside. He huddled close to his aunt and squinted into the bright sunlight. He, to his right, the big pile of shrunken heads where it came into focus. The dark eyes seemed to stare at him. The mouths were all twisted in ugly expressions of anger and horror. He tried to turn away from seeing the terrifying pile of tiny heads to see something even more terrifying. An enormous black pot stood behind the headquarters building. Water brimmed over the top, bubbling and boiling. The pot was on some kind of electric burner, like a stove. It glowed red hot. He turned to Aunt Bennett and caught the fear on her face. You can't do this, she screamed Dr. Hollings. You know you can't get away with it. And Dr. Hollings said, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to harm you, Benna. I just want to own the jungle magic. He kept his eyes locked to his aunt, waiting for her signal. Give me the jungle magic. Give it to us, Benna. We don't want trouble. We actually really don't. No. No, no, no. You both know I will never give up the secret of jungle magic. Not to you, not ever. Then I have no choice. Since you two are the only ones in the world who know the secret, you are both too dangerous. The secret must die with you. We're going to shrink your head. The boy goes first. 
He took a step toward Mark, and Aunt Benna blinked. Once, twice, three times. Finally, the signal. Mark tugged the head out of his pocket, raised it in front of him, opened his mouth, and shouted the secret word. But Dr. Holling swiped the head from his hands, grabbed it away, and tossed it onto the pile of heads. He dove for him, reached out to grab him with both hands, but Mark ducked out from under him and threw himself onto the disgusting pile of heads. He began sorting through them frantically, picking one up, tossing it, grabbing the next one, the next one, the next one. They felt sticky and warm, hard as baseballs. The hair brushed his hands, and the dark eyes stared back at him blankly. They were so ugly. His breath was coming out in wheezing gasps. He could hear his aunt struggling with Dr. Hong's in the distance, wrestling with him, trying to keep them away. There were heads with ants crawling on them. Others had snakes. One had long white scratch on its ear. A white scratch on its ear? Yes, the white scratch from Jessica. This head was his. Thank you, Jessica. With an angry scream, Dr. Hollings dove at Mark. He shouted, Hollya! Hollya! Dr. Hollings still had his arms around Mark, trying to pull him toward the boiling pot. He screamed again. His hands were sliding away. It seemed like they were shrinking. His arms seemed to shrink into his body. Dr. Hollings' entire body was shrinking, growing smaller and smaller and smaller. He raised his eyes to Corrine and Carolyn. They were shrinking too, shrinking to the ground. Corrine disappeared under her straw hat. Then she came running out from under the brim, a tiny Corrine about the size of a mouse. All three of them, Corrine, Carolyn, and Dr. Hollings, scampered over the grass, mouse-sized, squeaking angrily in mouse voices. Mark stood beside the pile of heads and watched them scurry over the ground, squeaking and squealing until they disappeared into the jungle. Then I turned back to Aunt Benna and screamed, It worked! The jungle magic saved us! She rushed forward and gave him a hug. You did it! The jungle is safe, and so are we. The whole world is safe. Aunt Benna flew Mark home. Hugs from mom and even a hug from Jessica. They met them at the airport. Then mom drove them home for a big welcome home dinner. I had so many stories to tell. It was bedtime when Aunt Benna sat him down on the couch. Look into my eyes, she said. Look deeply, Mark. He raised eyes to hers. What are you doing? But she didn't reply. He turned into her eyes and the room grew fuzzy. The colors seemed to shift and blur. The poster on the den wall flipped over and over. He thought he saw the chairs and coffee tables sliding across the floor. After a while, the room came back into focus and Aunt Benna was smiling. You're back to normal, Mark. What do you mean? No more jungle magic, she explained. I took it back. You're a normal boy again. You mean, if I shout Kalia, nothing will happen? That's right. I took back the magic. The shrunken head has no powers and you have no powers over it. It's getting late. Bedtime, don't you think? Yeah, I guess. But he was kind of bummed that he didn't have jungle magic anymore. Aunt Benna, he asked, Can I keep the shrunken head? Of course. Keep the shrunken head as a souvenir. That way, you will always remember your jungle adventure. The end. It was a few. I like that one. I like a jungle adventure. I'm always... I think I think we're children of like the legends of the hidden temple and 
uh, Jumanji and, you know, mm-hmm. all the, all the things like Temple of Doom came out right around that time. Yep. Like there was quite a few um, jungle, jungle adventures. adventures. Yeah. That was a thing like Romance in the Stone, Jungle Book, not Jungle yeah, Book. You, um, you know, we talked about this. There's like waves of fads in Hollywood. Yeah. Like, you know, it was... It was vampires for a while and zombies yep. for a while. Mm-hmm. And and when we were kids, it was there were adventure movies, like legit adventure movies. I don't feel like, I mean, I guess there are some, but I don't feel like yeah, we've had a no. revival of those. Disney did one that was like based in Hawaii and if, like it was good, but it was like, we oh, always have to learn a lesson, kids, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and their dad was like a like in the army or something and died, mm-hmm. and I forget what it was called. But yeah, I'd like I, I'd like for for that wave to come through again. We could get another another legit adventure style movie like they used to. Oh wow! Yeah, it's true. There there really isn't that fade. There isn't really that fat anymore. Like. There's a good one. Um, what's that? What's it called? Uh, Zathura. That one's really Zathura good. Zathura was good, but I feel like that was part. Well, I mean, I guess it was maybe 2000s. Yeah. Was, was Zathura. Mm-hmm. But that was good. I liked that one. I don't, I completely missed it. Never read it as a kid. Don't remember seeing it. Don't remember hearing about it, but it was good. But we are. So happy to be back and recording. It feels like a very long time since we sat down and recorded one of these, uh, mostly because we got very, very caught up in our um, Halloween special. And then, you know, before that, we had the Fear Street movies that were coming out. And Danielle and I discovered um, while we were covering those movies that we actually kind of really like um, covering movies and shows for the for the podcast. It's not really what we set out to do um, in the beginning, but it's something that we really enjoy and it kind of breaks up the flow um, of, of producing these shows because it's like, you know, we each have to read a book. We each have to write, you know, a, a, essentially like a 15 page essay on the book. And then we come together and then we record it, but it's a lot more laid back with a show format. We can kind of have a lot more discussion And we feel like we're probably going to start bringing that to our regular show rotation. So don't don't be afraid. We are still (laughs) always going to cover Goosebumps and we're still always going to cover Fear Street. Um, But here going forward, we are toying with the idea of doing a Goosebumps episode, a Fear Street episode, and then an episode on the um, is it just beyond? Is that what it's called? The Disney Mm -hmm. Plus Okay, so it's the Disney Plus series um, that was, I believe, written and produced by R.L. Stein. Was at least is he a producer? Probably somewhere. At least somewhere. written by R.L. Stein. So yeah, so we're gonna start sprinkling those in amongst our uh, regular rotation because we enjoy that kind of discussion, and we think you guys too do too. So um, just be looking for that change in the in the episodes as they come out and drop. And again, those are probably going to be very casual episodes. They're not going to be our usual, you know, very produced with all the sound effects and the music like you guys are used to. Um, But we think it's going to be pretty fun. So be excited for that. And then also, if you're more interested, 
I believe Goosebumps, the television show, is still on Netflix. So we could cover some episodes of Goosebumps, the TV show. Sure, we could. Yeah, I'm I'm on board. I I think that that is a good like every third one. Yep. Um. That then that would give kind of the other each of us a break every time we record. Mm. So that'll be good. Yeah. So be excited about that, and that is something that we're working on for you, bringing you fresh new things. Yeah. New stuff. <clears throat> new stuff well i hope we hope everyone enjoyed this wild adventure in the jungle hope you learned something Mm -hmm. about drunken heads too now you can tell your friends Mm -hmm. at parties this is how drunken heads are made (laughs) just in case you didn't figured it out we figured it out thanks wikipedia thank you and so until next time we are out like the hallmark holiday movie about the 20 something girl who loses her big city job and is forced to move home to her rural town just in time for the town Christmas dance and a festival where she almost kisses the cute dude who has dropped from the sky to comfort her from whatever her existential dilemma is. Um, if you can't tell which hallmark movie I'm talking about, that's because they're all the same movie. Bye. Bye. Thank you.